Happy Thanksgiving! You're listening to 90.7 FM KALX. I'm Franklin, and this is Berkeley Grok. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming up on today's show, plankton, viruses, and blue tongue. In addition, we'll be joined by Dr. Mao Xing Ni, who will talk about secrets to longevity. Also, we'll find out what Super Helium 3 is. So stay tuned for all of this, plus the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week, coming right up on the Berkeley Grok Science Show. Welcome back to Berkeley Grocks. I'm Frank Ling. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee, the voice of democracy. I thought we were a republic, though. <laughs> uh, representative democracy, I guess, is what we are, right? Just two of us, right? Yeah, well, I, I represent myself. Friends. And I represent you. Didn't you like me? <laughs> Inadvertently, I guess. <laughs> no taxation without me representing you. So how European are you, Charles? Well, I, I know a lot of European people. So uh, do you kiss each other every time you greet? Not on the lips. Oh, okay. So which brings me to uh, this week's Animal uh, Minute. I was sensing the Animal Minute was coming up, so here we go. It's time for the Animal Minute. <laughs> yes, and this week's animal is the prairie dog. Prairie dog is a, a great animal. Yeah, they're very friendly. In fact, they kiss each other every time they greet. These are French prairie dogs, right? I know there are a lot of them in uh, South Dakota. I don't think they look too kindly on two prairie dogs kissing out there. Uh, <laughs> who knows? But uh, what uh, they've been observed to do is they open their lips, touch each other, and have their teeth exposed. And they're actually in a locked position for about 10 seconds. Uh, that ain't right. <laughs> Up there in Brokeback uh, Mountain, uh, I guess. Yeah, Jack Twist, I don't know why I can't quit you. <laughs> Pretty cool, prairie dogs kissing. And I do actually have a story, and it's completely unrelated. So what do we got? Phytoplankton. I can't imagine phytoplankton kissing at all. No, but we need them to uh, regulate the CO2. The ocean soaks up about half the CO2 that the uh, entire planet takes in each other, including all the plants and stuff. Right. I think all the plankton in the ocean is a good portion of the carbon cycle, right? Right. And new measurements taken by NASA suggest that the ocean has been taking about 3 billion tons less carbon than it had been previously. And so if you think about it, I think humanity gives off about 6 billion tons of carbon each year. So that's a pretty hefty portion we're talking about. So what's the source of the discrepancy here? That the phytoplankton are not as healthy as they were previously thought. And what they found was they're iron deficient. Iron deficient. Right. Interestingly, what they thought before was that when they're iron deficient, they're greener. And they thought that means as a result, they're growing more, but it turns out their growth is actually quite limited when they have less iron. So what is the source of the iron? From under, It uh, dissolves from the uh, seafloor. So does it have anything to do with man-induced effects then? Since we are changing the geochemical cycle so drastically, it's hard to tell what's going on. But previous theories was that if you had spread a bunch of iron particles in the ocean, that may reduce the algae growth and as a result, uh, suck up all the CO2. But right now we're seeing more deficiency going on in the world. We'll give them some iron supplements and we're ready to go. Healthy planet Earth. This was cool work carried out by NASA and it was published in a recent issue of Nature. talked about carbon dioxide. How about methane? Isn't that what cows give off? It is what the cows give off. It's also what the ocean bed gives off. 
Oh, really? So it turns out that uh, marine methane may have contributed to global warming effects long before any human effects have. Right. Uh, so the bedrock below the ocean keeps a lid on a lot of oil reserves. Right. But it's not really that solid a cap on the oil reserves. And every now and then, cracks allow petroleum methane to come to the surface. Uh-huh. And once there, the petroleum oxidizes and turns to tar which sinks, but then the methane drifts into the atmosphere. So are these like small amounts or huge amounts that they're detecting? It's about 50% of the total amount of the gas that contributes from uh, natural sources. Wow, that's uh, pretty significant there. Yeah, and compared to humans, uh, which contribute only slightly more than all those combined. Uh-huh. Researchers uh, led by Tessa Hill of the University of California, Davis, and James Kennett of UC Santa Barbara, they looked at this and found that three times more tar mixed into the sand from the last two major warming periods was released than previously thought, suggesting that it may have had a, actually a big role in effects on the global warming cycles. I see. Yeah, I think there's been some proposals that there's all these methane hydrate deposits under the ocean, and there's prospects that we can mine those for our natural gas. It's still to be explored, but this is supposedly has a nearly unlimited amount of gas that we could use. For. Right, and I imagine it's just how do you get that stuff out of there, Right. Uh, which is the trick. Anyway, so this was in our, again, our very favorite journal. Oh, the Proceedings. Of the National Academy of Sciences. PNAS. So, Charles, what would be your nightmare epidemiological scare out there? Well, I guess if everybody all of a sudden came down with dance, dance fever. <laughs> you mean having this uh, irresistible urge just to dance without stopping? Uh, yes, in, in accord with uh, some techno beat and a bunch of arrows moving up on screen. <laughs> but not otherwise. Okay, how about AIDS becoming airborne and spreading everywhere? Uh, it comes in a close second to Dance Dance Revolution. Well, I have a third, actually. All right. The H5N1 hybridizing with regular influenza becoming airborne. Okay, bird flu. Yes. Yes. So in a series of controversial experiments, what the uh, CDC has been trying to do is that they've been using ferrets, which have very similar respiratory tracts to humans, and using these as creatures to combine the influenza virus and the H5N1. And what they've been shown so far is that the hybrid virus, which came as a result, seems to be benign so far. Oh, saints be praised. (laughs) That doesn't mean they should let their guard down, since some other uh, biologists have proposed that this could be one way of creating bioweapons, just uh, combine various viruses in animals. Right, and I imagine if it's not hybridizing with that one, it could hybridize with something else, and who knows, yeah. So uh, this is kind of scary stuff, but at least so far, we can be, well, not completely reassured, but at least be cautiously assured that it won't spread like dance dance revolution <laughs> <laughs> and this was actually uh, also from our favorite journal the proceedings of the national academy of, of sciences oh i thought it was dance dance but anyway <laughs> penis Well, I guess Thanksgiving's right around the corner here, and uh, a lot of people might be eating sheep and goat. Sheep and goat? Sheep and goat. But hopefully not sheep and goat with blue tongue. Okay, I was thinking of a civet cats. <laughs> it's not so big on Thanksgiving. But uh, have you heard about blue tongue disease? Sounds pretty exotic. Well, it is kind of exotic. It's mostly affecting uh, countries in Europe, Netherlands, Belgium, and Germany most recently. Really? Is this a recent disease? Somewhat recent disease. It uh, sickens a lot of, uh, mostly against sheep and goats, in a lot of cases kills them. But epidemiologists are trying to study the progress of the disease. And, of course, it doesn't affect humans. Uh So that's the nice thing. (laughs) Right. Yes. (laughs) Right. So feel free to eat that diseased cow. (laughs) It's a microwave of everything. That's what we need, right? Uh, A cow-sized microwave oven. (laughs) Uh, But researchers have actually been wondering how this disease has been spread, which originated in Africa. 
And what it looked like it was that it was a gradual northward progression from Africa into the southern part of Europe and then into northern parts of Europe. But a recent study that was released a couple weeks ago showed that the serotype that was found of this particular virus called Kulikoides, that's carried in biting midges, is the same, almost exactly the same serotype as found in Africa, suggesting oh, really? that it almost jumped straight from Africa into northern Europe. So it happened in uh, recent years then? Yeah, it seems like. And so the question is, how did this happen? And people are coming up with various theories. An infected cow or affected cattle was shipped over there, or maybe uh-huh. a... An infected midge topped the plane somewhere. Right. Or maybe it was carried by birds. <laughs> or semen. <laughs> and by that, I mean sailors. So <laughs> Don't mix them with women. <laughs> well, not if you can help it. So keep that in mind. I guess your turkey is safe. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe not from H5N1. <laughs> and, of course, we like to bring good news, right, when the holiday season comes around. So. Right. You know, know what you're eating. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, this was not published in a recent edition of PNAS, but was found in a recent edition of Science Now. And that's all for a look at recent developments in the world of science and technology. You are listening to the Berkeley Grox Science Show. Well, coming up next, Dr. Mao Xing Ni will join us to discuss the secrets of longevity. So stay tuned. Science show. Well, for some, the thought of living to be 100 brings expectations of hope and promise, while for others, it conjures thoughts of infirmity and decline. Longevity is thus not just a question of quantity, but also of the quality of our remaining years. So, is it possible to live a long and vibrant life? Well, join us today to discuss some secrets to longevity is Dr. Mao Xing Ni. Dr. Mao, as he's known to most of his patients, is a board-certified anti-aging specialist and a professor of traditional Chinese medicine at Yosan University. He is the founder of the Tao of Wellness Center in Los Angeles, California, and has authored a new book on the subject called Secrets of Longevity, Hundreds of Ways to Live to Be 100. Uh, Dr. Mao, thank you very much for joining us today on the Brigham Rock Science Show. Thank you. It's uh, certainly a pleasure. You've written a very fascinating book, I'm sure one that everyone would like to know something about, how to live to be at least 100 years old. Um, So is it possible for anyone to live to be 100? Most definitely. In fact, your body wants to be 100. The body is designed so beautifully that it has the capacity to live to be 100 years or longer. And the challenge is for people to learn how to get out of the way and learn how to give your body what it needs to thrive, to live. And for many people think, it's too late for me. Well, I'm here to tell you the good news is it's not too late. No matter what shape you're in, how old you are, it's not too late. If you decide today that that's what you want and you want to be 100 and you begin to make some simple changes, and that's what Secrets of Longevity is about, is, is simple, requires very little effort. 
I see. How do we get in the way of ourselves yeah. becoming 100? What's the problem, really? From all the years of my medical yeah. practice, I've noticed that human behavior is the number one <laughs> interference <laughs> with our achieving our longevity potential. And we know what those behaviors are. I mean, they're basically sitting and eating a whole bottle of candy or not exercising. I mean, all the things that we know we're not supposed to do. But the book actually doesn't focus on what you shouldn't do. Uh, it focuses more on what you can do. I outline over 300 approaches, simple approaches on what you can do today to make a change that would make a difference. Indeed, indeed. You, you also come from an interesting perspective of uh, blending both Western and Eastern Chinese medicine. I mean, what perspective do you have from the Chinese medicine approach? What the source of this really, I mean, I, I sort of like, like to share a little personal story. Mm. I, I almost died mm. as a young man falling from three-story. And uh, I mean, it's, it, it changed my life because um, my father, who was a doctor of Chinese medicine, really saved my life. And so as I recover from my illness, my fall, I began to take an interest in this medicine and, and finding that not only is it fascinating, but many of the medical tradition is dealing with simple time-tested wisdom. And so I've chosen to put over 300 of them together. And all, that's also confirmed with interviews that I've done with centenarians over the last 20 years. And then using Western studies that I've researched to back up these little tips you know, it's, I'm so excited just because they're so simple to do. And I've been telling my patients for years what they can do to, you know, make little changes that will make a big difference. That's what Secrets of Longevity is about. Right, right. As you mentioned, part of uh, your initial studies were watching some of these centenarians back in China. I'm curious, what common features did you find in some of these centenarians? Well, common features are numerous, but mm. I thought I'd share some with you that are kind of funny. Uh, it would appear to be funny. Now, this particular tip, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Sleep your way to 100. Sleep your way. <laughs> yeah, no, I know some of you are thinking, oh, whoa, what does that mean? Uh, no, it's not what you think. It's naps, power naps is what I'm talking about. Hmm. 10, 15, 20 minutes a day can make a huge difference. And here's where Chinese medicine have long considered noontime at 12 o'clock as the peak hour for the heart. Hmm. And in order to strengthen the heart, you must rest your heart. Well, recent studies show that nappers have a 30% lower risk of heart disease and stroke. Hmm. And that's simple. Everybody can learn how to take a little cat nap. Mm -hmm. So many of these centenarians, they've taken naps during their, you know, the most productive time of their life. And Einstein was no exception. I use Einstein because he was considered one of the most creative and productive persons in the last century. And he lived to a ripe old age, and yet he took naps every day. Mm. I think the next thing then is, mm. is stress. You would be hard-pressed to find a stressed-out centenarian. <laughs> you must take a long-term perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think, oh, my goodness, i got to get my life over with in the next two hours, then yeah. it might just happen. But if you take a long-term perspective, all the centenarians, they truly believe that they're going to live to be 100. Mm. I mean, they, that's how they think. I have a long time. So the perspective will then lessen their reactions to these stressors that come their way. And I also notice many of them just, they naturally understand how to meditate. Mm -hmm. And I have this, one of the secrets of longevity, my favorite one is meditate to detoxify. Because not only does meditation have benefits of lowering uh, blood pressure, lowering heart risk, uh, heart disease risk, and boosting your immune system, but also meditation doesn't have to be complicated. Most people think you have to run off to a mountaintop or sit mm -hmm. in a saffron rope 
to learn a complicated meditation. But the meditation is simple. It only takes a minute or two or three, and it's a way in which you deal with your mind. And then also breathing. Since 70% of your body's toxins and waste are removed on a daily basis from proper breathing, Mm. meditation is the best way to accomplish that. And that's why I call meditate to detoxify. Uh, it seems like, you know, meditation, sleep, breathing, they, they all might sort of involve uh, similar physiological mechanisms that are going on to reduce uh, stress hormones, for example. Well, you take the garbage out of the body and the mind. Indeed. <laughs> Very convenient. Uh, as the old saying goes, it's uh, garbage in, garbage out. What about what we eat? A huge difference. Yeah. No question diet can make or break a person's health. But instead of focusing on, oh, gosh, don't eat this, don't eat that, which sounds like your mother, and I try not to do that for my patients, <laughs> I say, look, Berries, 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 dark berries, like blueberries. Mm. Chinese medicine says blueberries, good for your kidneys, good for your brain. Well, did you know rats that eat blueberries don't get Alzheimer? It's, it's a very interesting fact. Studies uh, done in Minnesota a few years back show that a group of rats that were bred to develop Alzheimer's, when they ate blueberries, didn't develop the mm. disease, whereas the control group that did not get blueberries developed the disease. So it's something like that blueberries you can just simply go out buy some start eating them tomorrow simple and mm-hmm. and it's delicious it's a wonderful way to strengthen your longevity potential right. is is that related in any way to the benefits of wine for example which have all these antioxidants that come from the grapes no, there's no question yeah. berries are filled with antioxidants and so mm-hmm. are you know the grape mm-hmm. skin for example mm-hmm. And of course, the wine. One of the secrets in this book is little wine, big win. Mm -hmm. And it means that, yes, you are going to derive tremendous benefit from this lowered heart disease risk when you drink a little bit of wine. But if you drink too much, like over a glass, for example, every day, then you're starting to hurt your liver. Mm. And that's not a wise thing. So a little bit goes a long way. Another subheading of your book is uh, how you heal. How should we approach actually trying to heal our bodies? Well, first, do no harm. I think this is one of the unfortunate issues that we face with our medical system today is that uh, it's rampant with side effects. And if you mm-hmm. look at how many people die every year, close to 200,000 to a quarter million people die every year from errors that we make or side effects from drugs and complications, then we have to ask ourselves, well, let's first do no harm. What can I, you know, let me talk to my doctor and see if I can make changes in my lifestyle, my diet, and all of that first so that I'm participating in my own healing process. And so it's quite important that how you approach your healing. And so I encourage everyone to develop and put together a healing team and people who are knowledgeable resources, resourceful where they can go and get educated. And Secrets of Longevity is meant to be a reference where people can go and just pick up simple tips that they can start practicing today that can start to make a difference over time. Mm. Part of your book is uh, exercises. How much should we exercise and uh, what types of exercise should we be doing? There's no question that uh, exercise is key. Many centenarians that I interviewed are in good health. You mentioned earlier mm-hmm. when you opened this program that the image of infirmity mm-hmm. and decrepit uh, old age sets in. 
Well, we need a new image. Mm-hmm. We need an image of a vibrant centenarian, the ones I interview that are 102, 106, that are living by themselves, independent. They can take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. They go walking an hour every day. And almost without fail, every single one of these centenarians exercise. I mean, they, they do Tai Chi, they walk, they do some kind of calisthenic every single day without fail. If there's one thing that people can start doing today, what would you recommend? Well, one thing, uh, there are many things, of course, Mm -hmm. but here's what I think that can be done. And this relates to stress, emotional Mm -hmm. stress. Forgive and forget. Mm -hmm. This is one of the hallmarks of centenarians. Learn to lighten the load. Mm -hmm. Life's journey, there's uh, many ups and downs. Resentment, anger, inevitably will be encountered. The key is to learn how to let it go. Forgive the sorrows and the resentment, and then forgetting them, letting go, so that you can move on, so that you can bring new experiences into your life. And that's important. That's key. So that you can be open to new experiences. And so many people just get bogged down, and they, they just can't let go of a, let's say, bad experience. And it eats into them and makes them sick. Mm. This, this whole field of anti-aging medicine is, uh, I think, relatively new. How much do you think uh, the medical establishment is now sort of embracing preventative care rather than treating diseases once they arise? Well, the anti-aging movement is, is I think, born out of the baby boomer generation mm-hmm. who don't want to age at all. And uh, <laughs> so they've done, it's kind of like a panic. Uh-oh, <laughs> we, we've turned 60 now. Okay, well, we don't really want to be 60. We never wanted to be 60. Mm-hmm. But here we are. What can we do? And yes, prevention is key, and and there is a lot of talk about that. But I think the focus is still on quick fixes, like, Mm -hmm. you know, human growth hormone, Mm -hmm. hormonal replacement, and what can I do to just pump myself up? Whereas the anti-aging movement in the Chinese medical tradition has been going on for 5,000 years or longer, Mm -hmm. because the basic tenet of Chinese medicine is about staying balanced at all times. At all times. So that means you, you, you don't wait till you're 60. You don't wait till you're thirsty to dig a well. You don't wait till uh, you're engaged in war to forge weapons. It's many of the approaches are about prevention. Let's start taking care of the body before it breaks down. So we've been at it for a long time, and that's, that's lucky for us because I'm able to collect all this wisdom and bring it forth. And then these are little steps every day that people can do that are simple and they're easy. And as long as people understand that your body wants to be 100 and you have to learn how to get out of the way and give your body what it needs and then have a long-term perspective and say to yourself, look, you know what, no matter what's in the past, it's not too late for me if I start today. Well, I think that's very good advice and I think it's a perfect place to end uh, our conversation. Uh, Dr. Ma, I do want to thank you very much for joining us today. And, uh, You're welcome. It's my pleasure. And if I can just let people know, they can subscribe to free newsletter and updates by going on to the website, uh, askdrmao.com. That's A-S-K-D-R-M-A-O.com. And there'll be more resources for people. Indeed. And of course, your new book is uh, Secrets of Longevity, Hundreds of Ways to Live to Be 100. This is the Berkeley Grok Science Show you're listening to. Well, coming up next is the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week. So stay tuned. Maybe I don't really want to know How you got and grows Cause I just want to fly Lately Did you ever feel the pain In the morning rain As the soul shoots to the bone 
game the Grokatron 5000. The Grokatron 5000 is of course our supercomputer which was formerly known as Deep Blue and today the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic living to be 100. So for the following five items the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if they will be around in 100 years. Dr. Maurer, are you ready to play your game, the Grokatron 5000? Yes, I will try. Okay, well, here we go. <laughs> the Grokatron 5000, item number one, will it be around in 100 years, the iPod? Well, I think the iPod will be transformed. I think in 100 years, we will be able to acquire the technology and skill to listen to music without having to use an iPod. Ah, so maybe beam directly to our brain? <laughs> uh, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, uh, item number two, the gas-powered automobile. Oh, I think the gas-powered automobile will be a dinosaur by then because we, number one, will probably most likely run out of petroleum. And so um, solar and other alternate technology will be the king of the day. You can certainly hope for at least for the sake of the earth anyway as well. <laughs> <laughs> item number three, junk food. Uh, unfortunately, I think this one's going to stick. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think junk food has been around for centuries, and, and people will always look for an emotional way uh, of, of justifying their appetites uh, because it makes them feel good. So they may be eating for the wrong reason, but it makes them feel happy. Um, okay, number four, cash or paper money? No, I have a sense that uh, in 100 years that there will be um, paper reduction <laughs> technology that we don't need to do that. In fact, in, in Asia now, they use cell phones to pay. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. You just wave your cell phone over a reader, and it takes automatically debits the money out of your bank. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, number five, around in 100 years, the Republican Party. <laughs> oh, boy. This is, you know... Uh, my father told me uh, that we've been uh, many generations in the medical field, and we have a family decree that says no offsprings of the knee family should ever be involved in politics. Okay. So I think I may have to refrain from answering this question. <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, Dr. Mao, I, I do want to thank you very much for uh, sticking around, playing our game, The Grokatron 5000, and, of course, talking about your book, Secrets on Longevity. Great. Thank you so much. All right. It was our pleasure. Thank you Bye. very much. Bye. And now it's Stephen Hawking with the answer to last week's question of the week. What is the superfluid helium-3? Superfluid helium-3 forms Bose-Einstein condensate. Flows without friction. Makes me frictionless. And now for us with this week's question of the week. You know, down here in the south in the summertime, we got them mosquitoes. They're kind of annoying, you know. They, they bite you and make you kind of itchy. But other than that, they're not too bad. But down in Africa, they got them... Uh, tsetse floss. They're slightly deadlier. So if you know what disease they carry, you can email us here at groks at hotmail.com. You won't win anything, but at least you won't die in your sleep. And that's all for this edition of Berkeley Groks. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Groks, you can email us at groks at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Groks, I'm Frank Bling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a very happy Thanksgiving and stay tuned for more music.